0: foal of an ass. And then in Matthew 25 and verse 31, "'When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as the shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats.' And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And those verses bring, bring before us the prophecy that, the, that King Jesus would come, and that's something we remember on Palm Sunday. And the second passage in Matthew 25 reminds us that that same king who came 2,000 years ago is coming again in his glory and what a wonderful day that will be well may God help us to keep these things in focus together today let's begin with prayer O Lord our God and Father in heaven we are so thankful this morning that amidst the difficulties of life and the various changing scenes that come into our pathways the Lord, our God reigns. Our God is on the throne of his glory. And King Jesus, to whom all power and authority has been given, is with his people in the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. And our prayer is, Lord, that this morning, as we contemplate the beauty and the wonder of our glorious King, that, Lord, our souls will be lifted up. Lord, those things that have taken place in the hearts and the lives of one and another in the fellowship during this past week, will know the peace of God. For our Saviour is not only King, He is the Prince of Peace. And we want that reign of peace to be in our hearts and our lives at this particular time especially. So, Lord, be with us. Be with every gathering of your people today, wherever they are meeting. And may King Jesus be lifted up, sinners turning to him, for his glory and for their good. We ask our prayers in his name. Amen. let's take our hymn books and sing our opening hymn this morning. It's number 273, 273, Jesus shall reign, where'er the sun doth his successive journeys run, his kingdom stretch from shore to shore, till moons shall wax and wane no more, number 273. theme of the kingship of our Lord in mind, let's turn together for our reading this morning to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21. Matthew, chapter 21, and I'm just going to read the first 17 verses. Matthew, chapter 21, beginning at the first verse. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives, then Je- sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you. Ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them and brought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves, and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, And the children crying in the temple, and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. And said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye never read? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. And he left them, and went out of the city into Bethany, and lodged there. May God bless the reading of his word to us. Let's take our hymn books again. Hymn 225. 225, which picks up on our Bible reading there this morning. Ride on, ride on in majesty. Hark, all the tribes, Hosanna cry. O saviour meek, Pursue thy road with palms and scattered garments strode. 225. O great and glorious God, we come humbly into your thrice-holy presence this morning, realizing that we are coming into the presence of the Almighty God himself. And Lord, what a wonderful blessing and privilege it is that is given to us, a little gathering of your people this morning, to draw near to the throne of above all other thrones, And to come with quiet boldness, humble boldness, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. To know, O Lord, that as we draw near to the throne of our Heavenly Father, in the name of his only begotten and beloved Son, we are accepted. For your word assures us that we are accepted in the beloved, the beloved Son of God. Oh, as we've been reading this morning, and as we've been singing, Lord, how our Savior came into the world, humbled himself, and took to himself humanity, that he might go humbly to that dreadful cross. Yes, the King of Kings. And even Pilate had to write above that cross, Behold your King. Lord, we behold him there, suffering for us, bearing away our sin, our shame, its guilt, and all the consequences, all the eternal consequences. Oh, how he entered into the depth of what we deserve for our salvation. And Lord, as these things will be very much on our hearts and in our minds, Over these coming days. Lord, may the reality and the solemnity and yet the glory of them fill our hearts and cause us to be overwhelmed with thankfulness and praise to God. Yes, Lord, even though our life here upon earth may be hard, there may be complexity, we may be confused. Lord, there may be many pressures upon us. Grief and sorrow overtakes us. Yet, Lord, our joy is not in these things. Our joy is in our heavenly Father and his Son, who said as he left this world, My peace I give to you. Abide in that peace. Abide in that joy that I give to you. Lord, the world doesn't understand us when in the midst of trial and problem and grief we can be at peace and we can have joy. Lord, we couldn't if we were where the world is today outside of Christ in its rebellion and sin. But we can have peace and joy when we are in Christ, when we are safe in the arms of Jesus? Oh Lord, give us that humble faith, that strong faith that casts itself upon our Saviour, upon your Son, and finds that joy and peace, not in what we see around us, not necessarily in what we go through, but in believing and trusting in Him O Lord, we thank you that you send the Holy Spirit. Lord, these are mere words without him. Lord, the Bible, as we have it before us, means nothing to this world. But Lord, it means so much to us. And it's all because of the Holy Spirit's work in us, his illuminating grace, his powerful word, that has reached into the depth and the deepest recesses of our heart and our mind. O oh Lord, help us to rejoice in Christ in the midst of the difficulties of life. And may the Holy Spirit flood us with peace that, O oh Lord, we may walk with him, with the Lord, in the light of his word and find there is a wonderful glory Shed upon us. O Lord, we do pray then for one another this morning, the different circumstances and needs in this fellowship and congregation at this time, the grief, O Lord, in a brother's heart having lost his dear wife, Lord, the complexities of other situations in family circles. Lord the loneliness that some feel Lord the hopelessness perhaps that some feel O oh Lord we pray that you will strengthen strengthen faith strengthen confidence strengthen O oh Lord even physically for all that confronts and challenges us and sometimes our minds O oh Lord they feel stretched almost to breaking point. We wonder how we can ever think straight again. But Lord, you can overcome that and you can give us that ability to think as we should and to behave as we ought. And so, Lord, we pray the blessing of God to be upon each one in this congregation. And if there are others who are absent And you know the reason for that absence. We pray for them where they are, whatever their circumstances and need might be. And how we pray for the church of Christ in our day and generation. When the pressures are upon us increasingly to conform to the ideology and attitude and outlook of this world. Oh Lord, keep us Oh, keep your church in these days. Keep her faithful, faithful to her Lord and Master. Keep her faithful within herself, amongst the members of the church. Oh, keep us, O oh Lord, in these times, walking with the Lord and walking according to his word, putting on that heavenly armor which we so much need today, Lord, our our weapons are not carnal weapons. Our weapons are spiritual. Lord, they are weapons that pull down the strongholds even of the evil one. And we pray that we may be well equipped, perhaps through the word today, for what may lay ahead of us during this coming week. And you know what there is. How thankful we are, Lord, that everything is known to you. We don't need to tell you anything, Lord. We need not fret about the future because you are in control of the past, the present and the future. And as you have been, you forever will be. There'll never be a moment when our Lord is not in control. Oh, fill us with the courage that comes from believing that truth and the strength in which we can walk when we hold on to it. O oh Lord, we would pray for our government today. We thank you for the work of the Christian Institute. and Lord, as they begin a week of prayer today, we would bear before you, Lord, as they have asked our government and the all those who have the rule and authority over us. Lord, they are confused, they are confused in their own minds. They are confused in their deliberations and discussions. And, Lord, they seem to be dominated by all that is evil. Lord, we can only pray for them. There's nothing else we can do, Lord. We can only maintain a faithful testimony and witness ourselves and pray for those who rule over us. We pray for those in high places, whatever that high place might be. We pray that wisdom, wisdom from above will be given to them. And the few who perhaps do try to maintain a a proper position, that Lord, you would uphold them and be with them and use them as a little leaven in the lump that, Lord, there may yet be a purging in government, a purging in our national church, a purging amongst non-conformists, that, Lord, there may be a return to the word and the ways of the Lord. Our Father, we come before you then this morning. We come personally, we come collectively. And now we just ask that, as the word is opened before us, that you will speak through that word to us, speak into our personal situations, speak into our corporate situation, and speak, Lord, for your name and your glory's sake. And may our hearts as well as our ears be open to receive the word. And may our walk with the Lord reflect what we hear and consider this morning. Lord, we ask, seeking the honor and glory of your name, the forgiveness of our sin, for that name's sake. Amen. (coughs) Let's sing together before coming to the word 192. And you will have gathered already this morning that we're going to be thinking about the King of Glory. And that is why my mind has gone to this hymn, 192, Who is he in yonder stall, at whose feet the shepherds fall? Tis the Lord, O wondrous story. Tis the Lord, the King of Glory. At his feet we humbly fall. Crown him, crown him Lord of all. And may that, those last couple of lines of that chorus be sung from our hearts may it be true for all of us at his feet we humbly fall and we crown him lord of all 192 with God's help this morning, um, I want to, you might like to open your Bibles on Paul's letter to the Colossians in chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And I want to turn with you to various verses in that chapter from verse 16 through to uh, verse 20. I'm not going to read them, we'll look at them together. My text really is very simple. Behold your king. That's my text this morning. Behold your king. And words that Pilate used in John 19 verse 14 when standing in front of him was our Lord. What a mockery of a trial that was. And there is our Lord. And Pilate brings him out so terribly abused, brings him out in front of all the people and he says to them, Behold, points to him and says, Behold your king. And it is King Jesus that I want us to behold together this morning. Goes back, doesn't it, to Zechariah where I began this morning. Behold, speaking to Zion, Behold your king is coming. Palm Sunday, as we call it, the people in Jerusalem, they were pointed back to Zechariah's prophecy, Behold, your king is coming. And here he is. He's come. He's riding into Jerusalem on the back of an ass and on the back of a fold of an ass. Behold your king. That's what I want us to think about together this morning. A little did... Pilate realized of the profundity and the glory of that statement of truth that he was making as he pointed the people to their king. But there was one great tragedy in that statement. How tragic it is that Pilate could never say, Behold my king. Can you say that this morning? I'm pointing to you pointing you this morning to your king, or am I? I could say to you this morning, I want you to behold my king. And I hope before we go this morning, those of you who can already say, say that using the personal my king will be reaffirmed in that truth. And if perhaps you've come here this morning... And you're you're finding it difficult or perhaps in all honesty you cannot say that he is my king. That you too will be moved and prompted to be able to do so. And thinking over those words my mind went to Colossians chapter 1 and various things that come to us in that portion of scripture. And I want to behold our king from three viewpoints. If you like, the three thrones on which he sits. Now, I know there's only one throne, but in a sense, there are three. Hear me out, and you'll follow my thinking. And the first throne I want us to see, and behold our king sitting on, is on the throne of creation, He is the King of creation. The King of creation. In Colossians chapter 1, we read in verses 16 and 17 that all things were created by Him. He created all things. He is the great Creator. Things that are in heaven, things that are on the earth, the things that are visible, the things that are invisible, He is ruling over His creation, that which He brought into being. And the Word of God constantly and consistently makes the point that it is the second person in the Trinity who was the one who created the heavens and the earth. Paul could not be more explicit or consistent than he is here in Colossians chapter 1. By him all things were created. Moses, the very opening verse of Scripture, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Or John at the beginning of his letter, or his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ is God. He is the Son of God. He, all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Read the creation story. What did God do? God spoke. Who is the Word? The second person in the Trinity. Christ. Christ. In the beginning was the Word and everything was created through him and by him. And the Creator is the one who controls all that he made. He rules and governs all that he made. After all, verse 17 of Colossians 1, he is before all things, therefore he is eternal, therefore he was able to create all things if he was there before they were created. And in him all things consist. All things hold together in him. He is the one who holds it together and causes creation to function, to function as it has done ever since it was created and made and will continue to hold together and will continue to function as God has planned until he is the one who will bring it to an end. And all this is in complete harmony with the overall teaching of Scripture. Listen to God's challenging words to his servant Job. In chapter 38 and 9, time and time again, where were you when I made this? Where were you, Job, when I did that? Where were you when this happened? It's like rapid machine gun fire. Job 38 and 9. It's time and again. Job, why are you in such a state? Where were you when I did this? Where were you when I did that? Where were you? Where were you? And what God is impressing on Job is, quite simply, Job, in your situation and circumstances when everything is crowding in upon you, everything is virtually crushing you, your friends have forsaken you, you're all on your own, remember who I am. Remember what I have done. Remember that I am in control. I am in control now, Job, as I was when it all started. And I will be in control when it all ends. He is the great creator, And you find that uh, repeated, the principle repeated in many, many of the Psalms. And even the disciples think of them in a little boat on a stormy sea. The waves are breaking over the little vessel, it's filling up with water, it's being swamped, the wind is blowing, Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. And they turn to him and he stands up and he simply shouts above the storm, be quiet, be still, be quiet. And it was calm. And those disciples turned to one another. And what did they say to one another? Who can this be? Who can this be? The winds, the waves obey him. Experienced fishermen, they've never controlled the winds and the waves. But this one who is in the vessel with them, they're obeying him. He stills it, the storm with a word. The great creator is in control of all that he made and all that takes place in creation, in the created order in your life, in my life. Isn't that something that we can hold on to when the storms of life toss us up and down? King Jesus, behold my king, he's in control. And when you behold your king as being in control, things take on a whole new complexion. They're not necessarily removed, but they take on a whole new outlook. But the Creator, Christ is the Creator. He's the King of creation. He controls it. And He is the only one who will bring it to an end. No one and no thing else But he. He, and only he, brought the flood on the earth in Noah's day. You'll remember the story of Noah. You don't need me to go through that with you this morning. He saw the wickedness of the world, he saw the rebellion of the world against him, its rejection of him, and he dealt with it. He brought the flood. And he is the one who is going to bring the world as we know it today to its climactic conclusion. Jesus made that very clear. The gospel of the kingdom, he said, will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. Noah was witnessing to the world in building that ark. And no doubt he told them why he was building it. God's sending a flood. And today, the church seems at a very low ebb. We seem so weak and powerless and helpless. And it seems as though the world is dominating. But until the work of the gospel is completed, the world will continue call it global warming, call it what you like, the world will continue. There will continue to be the seasons, there will continue to be the order and structure of day and night and so on. My friend, the Creator is the one who will bring it to an end, not climate, not war, not what man can do, the Creator will bring it to its close. When the gospel has been preached as a witness to all the nations, then the end will come. Not according to the timetable and scale of man, but according to God's timetable. And Paul tells us that the end will come when something happens. Not when the sun explodes or something like that. Nothing of that. The end will come, he says, when the Father or when the Son, King Jesus, the King of creation, delivers His redeemed kingdom to the Father. And He puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. He is in control. What a comfort. What an encouragement for us all. Whatever world powers might do, whatever clever scientists might, might forecast, King Jesus is far above, we read in Colossians 1.16, all principalities... All powers. He is above them all. He is above every name that is named. And I'm now lapsing into Ephesians 1. Not only in this age, but also in the age which is to come. King Jesus is on the throne. Every gospel sermon that is preached is a testimony that one day King Jesus is coming in judgment. The day the gospel stops being preached is the day that Jesus comes. So all the while there's preaching of the gospel, whether it's only just here and there, whether it's behind closed doors or in the open air, it is a testimony that the world will continue because Jesus hasn't come. But he is coming. When gospel preaching ceases, time will end. In the second place, behold the king of creation, behold the king of redemption. There before Pilate was the king of creation. You can't touch me, Jesus says, unless I let you. I've paraphrased it, but that's basically what he said. You can't touch me unless I allow you. They can't nail me to the cross unless I allow them. This is the wonder, the wonder of the cross. Jesus allowed them to do it. but he is the king of redemption then. It pleased the Father, Colossians 1, 19 and 20, that in him all the fullness should dwell <coughs> and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Christ is the king of creation. Now the simple fact is that today man has rejected the rule of the king of creation. And that rejection began in Genesis chapter 3. You know the story of Adam and Eve. How they rejected the rule of their creator. And that has continued ever since. Man has rebelled against his creator. He neither wants to acknowledge him as creator, nor acknowledge his work of creation, doesn't want to acknowledge his work of providence, rejects his word where it all is revealed, and above all rejects the incarnate word. This has been going on. Romans 3, as Paul quotes from the Psalms, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one that seeks after God. There is no one that does good. They have all practiced deceit. Their mouth is full of cursing and wickedness and bitterness. There's no fear of God before their eyes. In short, Paul says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That includes you, that includes me. It includes everyone around us. We are not doers of good by nature. And until our nature is changed, we will not do good. We cannot do good. doesn't mean we're all as bad as it's possible to be. But in God's sight, we are sinners. And the fearful consequences of that rejection of the King of creation are evident all around us. As Paul puts it, Again in Romans 1. We have exchanged the truth of God for the lie. There is a worship and service of the creation, not the creator. You don't need me to point that out to you today. What's the cause of every all the problems? Creation. That's man's answer. What's going to happen? happen. Creation's going to fold. We're under, under the control and dominance of this, that and all the other. Serving the creature, the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And most terrible of all is the truth and they reject this truth that God is going to bring judgment upon us for our rejection of him. For we must all we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We face a judgment day. And what a fearful thing it will be to stand as a rebel before the king. What a wonderful thing it will be to stand as a subject of the king in his presence. But we're all born rebels. Something's got to happen. Something's got to change us. I remember an old book Dad used to have on his bookcase. I I wish I could find it, but, well, it's gone with a lot of other stuff, I expect. But the title always struck me a Rebel Made a Child. It was a little biography of a lady. I think I think her name was May Shaler. I'm not sure now. I think she lived in Brighton, but I might be wrong there. But that was the title. It was a little pink book. A Rebel Made a Child. And that's what every rebellious human being needs to be made. A child of God. And that's what we all need. Praise God, there's a way for that to happen. The king of creation is the king of redemption. There is a way of reconciliation with the king. By him, verse 20 of Colossians 1, to reconcile all things to himself and to bring about peace through the blood of his cross. You see, God so loved the world that he sent and gave his only begotten Son, the King of creation. He sent him into that creation so that the Creator took to him a creation form, took to him humanity in order that he might save that humanity and reconcile the rebels and bring them into the adoption of of sons. We know that the wages of sin is death, isn't it? We know that. Eternal death, hell, that's the wages of sin. And yet, when Paul wrote that, he added another little phrase, didn't he? Begins with a but... But the gift of God is eternal life. There's a wonderful thing. Uh, The gift of God, the gift of the King of creation is redemption, reconciliation. The judgment and the wages of sin can only be lifted from us when the penalty is paid. No, needs more than that. It needs more than the payment of the penalty. It needs the acceptance of the payment of the penalty by the king of kings. The penalty must be paid and accepted by the one against whom we have sinned. And since we cannot achieve either of those things, we cannot pay the penalty and find acceptance. We need someone to pay the penalty for us. Someone whose payment will be accepted on our behalf. And that is the great work of, the, of redemption. That's the whole structure and meaning of redemption. Payment and acceptance. Not just payment, but acceptance as well. And the good news is that to rebels, King Jesus has paid the penalty for our sin. He came into the world. The king came into the world. The king lived a life without any sin. And therefore the king could bear the penalty or pay the penalty for the sins of others. And that's exactly what King Jesus did. What was the penalty? Death, so he went to the cross. What is the penalty? A curse, so he came under the curse. What is the penalty? Withdrawal of the smile of God. And he cried from the cross, my God, my God, not my father. He cried, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your face away from me? He did it. And thus, he could do it because of who he is and what he became for sinners. But I say, though he went to the cross, though he lived and died, how can I be sure, how can you be sure that the penalty or the punishment was accepted? How can we be sure that the penalty was fully paid and accepted by the one against whom we have sinned. God himself personally declared that the penalty was paid and paid in full and he's given us a receipt. He's given us a receipt. The receipt is the resurrection. We're coming towards Easter. Behold your king. Behold him paying the penalty on the cross. Behold the acceptance of God in the resurrection. We must have both. I cannot be content with him just paying the penalty. I must know that it was accepted by God and God has accepted it. And now the promise and an undertaking is given that he who believes in him, in the king of redemption, he who believes in him is not condemned. My friend, it's written here in my Bible. It's written here by inspiration of the Spirit of God. It's written here by the hand of God that the penalty is paid all those who believe in him in the redeemer and there is no condemnation for them what a wonderful expression no condemnation imagine standing in the courtroom and you're told not guilty and that's followed no condemnation what a wonderful phrase There is no condemnation. He is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned. And condemned already, even before the trial. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of who? The only begotten Son of God. The King of redemption. Don't try and redeem yourself. Don't look around at other redeemers. Don't look at human priests. There's only one Redeemer. Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. He's paid the penalty. The receipt has been given as God raised Him from the dead. And we have the assurance in Scripture we are not condemned if we believe in Him. What more do we need? Why do we keep trying to do it ourselves? We're doomed to failure. But He has not failed, and He will not fail. I love that Christmas carol. We used to sing it round at Market Street concerning the King of Redemption. Listen to these words. And this is the work of the King of Redemption. Down from his glory, ever-living story, my God and Saviour came, and Jesus was his name. Born in a manger, to his own a stranger, a man of sorrows, tears and agony. What condescension, bringing us redemption, that in the dead of night not one faint hope in sight God, gracious, tender, laid aside his splendor, stooping to woo, to win, to save my soul. Without reluctance, flesh and blood his substance, he took the form of man, revealed the hidden plan. O glorious mystery, sacrifice of Calvary. Now I know Thou art the great I Am. On the chorus, Oh, how I love Him. Do you love Him? Oh, how I love Him. How I adore Him. He's my breath, my sunshine, my all in all. And here it is summed up. The great Creator became my Savior. And all God's fullness dwells in him. The king of creation became the king of salvation, the king of redemption. And the redeemed serve and acknowledge him as their king. Have you done so? Have you come to him? Have you confessed him? Have you committed yourself to him? and to the local expression of his body in the local church, adopted into the family of God, so that you can rightly remember him according to his command. Only those who are reconciled through the work of King Jesus can be sure of my third point, my final heading this morning the King of creation, the King of redemption. Behold the King of heaven. Behold the King of heaven. We get that in verses 21 and 2 of Colossians chapter 2. Alienated and enemies, that's what we were. Now reconciled and going to be presented holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Oh, how true are the words that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Things in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And all to the glory of God the Father, the blessings of heaven are reserved only for the redeemed. Only for those who have confessed their sin against the king of creation and fallen at the feet of the king of redemption, they will one day fall at the feet of the king of heaven. I know everyone will, but they will enter in to be with him forever. Others will fall there to be condemned. They will fall there lost in wonder, love and praise for all eternity. Those whom the King of glory has reconciled to God through his life and his death. By the shedding of his blood, they have been redeemed. And full atonement has been made so that John could stand On the island of Patmos, or I guess he was flat on his face on the island of Patmos in the presence of his risen, exalted Savior in that great revelation. But what did he see? He saw the redeemed from among men. They are without fault before the throne of God. No no condemnation. The redeemed, not condemned. And he saw them in the presence of the king of heaven. And he heard their confession. And he heard their song as they beheld their king. And what was their confession? What was their song? You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its scrolls. And here's their confession. You were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. There's their confession. That's why they're there. They've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And what is their song? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive honor, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. The words are just tumbling out of John now. There they are at the feet of the King of glory, the King of heaven. Having been made like him, now they see him. And now they fall at his feet and worship him. They are the Father's redeemed children. They are the Son's redeemed bride. And they are the Spirit's work. The Trinity has been at work in their hearts and lives and they come safe home to glory. And thus God the Holy Trinity is honored and glorified. And what's the chief end of man? To glorify God. Father, Son and Spirit. To glorify and enjoy Him forever king of creation came into the world as the king of redemption he's returned as the king of glory and heaven that he might take his people to be with him there is this king your king this morning is he yours will you bend the knee before the king of creation in repentance and faith in repentance And will you bend before the king of redemption in faith and humble trust? And will you fall one day before him and confess him before men and angels and rejoice in him in anticipation of such a future? Listen to the king's proclamation the royal proclamation. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, not my word says, The king's word says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is over all. The same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Behold my king. Behold your king. Oh Lord, we just bow before you and wonder that the King of creation should come down as the King of Redemption into this world that so foully rejected him and that he should bring hope into that situation. But Lord, what is even more wonderful, more wonderful than ever, this king is our king. The king of creation is the king of redemption. And now, we belong to Jesus. We are his, his subjects, adopted into the royal family. And Lord, what a proclamation has been heard by thousands. And will one day be heard by every believer. The royal proclamation. Come you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom. Prepared for you. And what a day that will be. To fall at the the feet. Of the king of glory and heaven. Lost in wonder. In love and in prayer. May that be the portion for each one of us here. In Jesus' name. Amen. We'll close with hymn 278. 278. Tis to thee we owe allegiance, God our Saviour and our King. May we render true obedience every day our tribute bring and with rapture of thy love and glory sing, May we bow to thy dominion, yielding to thy righteous sway, careless of the world's opinion, may we all thy will obey. 278. May the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while perfect, establish, strengthen and settle you to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever.